0: God really hates false worship. Today on Rooted Daily, we're looking at the 32nd chapter of Exodus, the story of the golden calf idol that the Israelites built at the base of Mount Sinai, and what God's reaction shows us about how he will react to false worship on the judgment day. Welcome to Rooted Daily, the podcast where we're rooting ourselves in the Bible so we can grow with God a little more every day. I'm Brandon Levy, and God told us how to worship him, how to glorify him, how to love him. In the book of Exodus, the instructions he gave for the tabernacle and the priesthood were specific, right down to the stitching that should be used for the curtains. The people had asked, Lord, how do we keep your covenant? How do we show our love and our devotion for you? And God told them, do this. God was clear and specific. And because he was, the Israelites could not claim to love and obey God and not follow his instructions. That principle remains in part today. God hasn't told us what color our curtains need to be. We have a great deal of liberty on most things about the way we go about worshiping him and glorifying him in our day-to-day lives. But where God is specific, Exodus 32 is a warning to us. To love him, you cannot substitute his instructions. Exodus 31 ends with these amazing words. When the Lord had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So God gives Moses his written word, his written law, the two tablets of the covenant written by his own finger. But Moses doesn't leave right then. Exodus 24:18 says that he remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, which the rest of the Israelites down at the base of the mountain thought was a problem. When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Exodus 32, starting in verse one, you know, Moses was gone. And the Israelites were looking around and decided they needed a leader. They needed a replacement, some contact with God. Now, a few pieces of context. Maybe will help us put this in perspective. The Israelites had not been waiting long. They had been waiting 2,000 years for Moses to come back like he promised. How long were they waiting? 40 days and 40 nights. About a month and a half. A month and a half was all it took. For the Israelites to turn their back on the God who turned water into blood and parted the Red Sea and made Mount Sinai erupt with thunder and lightning. It only took a month and a half for the Israelites to forget the evidence for their God and replace his commands with cheap Im- imitations. If the Israelites could forget in a month and a half, how many times do you think we as Christians have forgotten and turned our backs on God's commands in the new covenant, waiting now two millennia for our mediator to return. I imagine it's once or twice. The second piece of context to remember here is how Moses got on the mountain in the first place. It's not like Moses abandoned the Israelites. They asked him to go. Moses is meeting with God alone because that's what the people requested Moses to do. Moses was to be their buffer between them and God. Moses was their mediator. But the Israelites were quick to turn on him excusing themselves because they did not know what had become of him. So, looking at Exodus, what was the first sin of the Israelites under the Old Covenant? At least as far as it's described here, it wasn't the carving of an idol. It was impatience. The people refused to wait for Moses or to wait for the Lord. They broke the first commandment, not only by seeking other gods, by by making the golden calf, but by failing to trust the Lord who brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of bondage, and his mediator, Moses. They refuse to trust what God is doing with Moses, and that impatience grows into the more brazen sins in the rest of the chapter. Are we ever impatient? What has our impatience led us to do? For the Israelites, they decided to take matters into their own hands. Instead, of trusting God's solutions, they substituted their own plans. The Israelites go to Aaron, who's the second in command, the leader in Moses' absence, and they say to him, come, make us gods or a god that shall go before us. They ask for an idol. And we see by how Aaron responds, maybe they're not looking for a new god per se, but rather they want an earthly representation of God, one that won't disappear into the mountains. They want a physical point of contact with God because now they don't have Moses as their physical point of contact. So how is Aaron going to respond as all the people are looking to him? Aaron, give us something. Well, Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings, which are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were on their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before, it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, Exodus 32, 2 through 6. So, Aaron tells the people to bring him all their golden earrings. He he uses all the gold that he can find, and he uses it to fashion this gold into the shape of a calf. Either this calf must have been much smaller than maybe the pictures we've depicted uh, today, or the Israelites wore a lot of earrings, right? But Aaron declares... That this new golden calf represents the God who brought them out of Egypt. Then he builds an altar proclaiming that tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. Wait a second. What is the golden calf? Aaron says it represents Yahweh, right? The language he uses attaches this idol to the God who rescued them from Egypt. The Israelites had forgotten a lot, but surely they didn't think a cow saved them from Pharaoh. They'd seen the Lord's power. It was undeniable. Then Aaron says that in this idol's shadow, they would have a feast to the Lord, using Yahweh's name there. It's almost like Aaron, even while he's pressured by the crowds, is covering his bases in case Moses comes back soon. Yes, he caved in, he built this idol, he knows that's wrong, but he could just tell Moses that it was done to worship Yahweh. How many things, how many things are done today under the guise of worship? That are diametrically opposed to the worship god commanded you know, when our worship is guided more by tradition than the bible isn't that really the same sin that aaron commits here he follows the demands of the people rather than the commands of god when church leaders bow down to the comfort and preferences of people rather than the instructions of god isn't that idolatry when our worship services become more focused on entertainment than authentic sacrificial devotion to god How's that any different from building a golden calf in the church building? You know, we get impatient. We want to add our own ideas to God. In fact, that's what the book of Acts is saying happened here. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. And as for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands, Acts 7, 39 through 41. Yet the Israelites, it says, thrust aside the chosen mediator and instead rejoiced in what they did with their hands. They came up with their own form of worship and they thought it was better than God's. How foolish. Idolatry is not just the worship of false gods, it is also the worship of the one true God falsely. But people will be quick to say, that's just legalism, right? Maybe they're already saying that in the comments. Let's talk about it. People will say, God doesn't care how we worship, cares about our heart. And they're right, in a lot of ways. Right here in Exodus, the Lord has just spent a lot of time detailing To Moses, the kind of worship he wants, right down to the size of the altar, the wood that would be used for the tabernacle, the stones that should be sewn into the the priest's clothes. He gives instructions for the most minute of the details. Now, do I think that God was too concerned with the color of the tabernacle curtains being red and blue? No, I, I really don't. Now, some of that points forward to foreshadowing elements of the New Testament and and our human minds can't grasp God's mind and its infinite wisdom and understanding. So there probably is significance to every element of the worship he prescribed in the Old Testament. But this is also the God who just said, when you're building a monument or an altar, you could just worship me with a pile of mud for all I care. When you see, when you use stones, don't cut them, just stack them. God didn't need precious jewels. He didn't need fine linens to be worshiped. None of that could come close to the glory of God. It was never about the altar. It was always about what went on the altar. God cared about the sacrifice. He has always wanted authentic worship from us, not just going through certain motions, but devoting ourselves to him From the heart. So God does care about our hearts. I'll even say He cares more about our hearts than our actions. But then, how do we explain what's going on here in Exodus 32? Aaron is seemingly trying to give the Israelites a way to keep worshiping Yahweh by carving this calf. He's saying, We're going to have a feast of the Lord around this. How could that be wrong? Isn't it just about the heart? It is, kind of. But do you see here clearly? Clearly, their hearts were wrong, and their wrong hearts led to wrong actions. How do I know their hearts were wrong? Well, because God had just spent 10 or so chapters describing the worship that would make him happy. He told them the way he wanted to be loved. And if someone tells you how they want to be loved, and you refuse to love them that way, you choose to love them in some different way— how could you say you love them? It gets even worse here because sometimes people don't really know how they should be loved. We don't know everything. And so sometimes we ask to be loved in ways that really aren't the best for us. And other people might recognize that. We could never know everything, but that's not the case with an all-knowing God, right? When he says what will bring him glory, we're never going to come up with a better answer. So how could the Israelites claim to have a right heart with God if they refuse to love him the way he knew and said he should be loved. God does care about the heart, but our hearts cannot be right with God if he tells us something and we decide to do the opposite. That's what the Israelites did here. God told them, don't carve idols. And the Israelites go within a month and a half and committed both forms of idolatry here. Some seemed ready to turn to other gods entirely while Aaron and and maybe some others were just falsely worshiping Yahweh. But to all of them, Exodus makes it very clear, false worship is always wrong. Listen to what God said about it to the Lord, uh, or the Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way, which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf, and worshiped it, and sacrificed it, and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. Exodus 32, 7 through 10. Yeah, this false worship made God's wrath earn against the Israelites, even as they worshiped by their own terms, the Lord who led them out of Egypt, God makes it clear, this so-called worship was just sin, and they would be condemned for it. May God never react to our worship that way. At the heart of all of this, though, their false worship showed that the Israelites had turned their back on God's chosen mediator. Moses was held in derision. That's reflected there in Exodus 32, 1. As for this Moses, they thrust Moses aside and their hearts were turned to Egypt, meaning to idolatry and immorality. And we know that this worship is false in part because of how it led the Israelites to act. Maybe one of the indicators of false worship is when it leads to a lifestyle opposed to God. Exodus 32, 6 says, They rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Uh, Verses seven through 10 then describe the consequences of this. First in verse seven, Israel is now Moses' people. They're not God's people. They can't be God's people because they're not acting like God's people. Their false worship has separated them. Sin disowns us from God. Sin separates us from God. Sin corrupts us. We are defiled and unholy. But note that this is the people's decision. They've rejected the Lord as their God and they're worshiping at the feet of this golden calf on their own accord. And God shows just how quickly this happened, how quickly the people have turned away from the path God commanded them. God knows what these people are like. They are stubborn, they're stiff-necked, they're obstinate. This rejection of God and his covenant demands only one outcome God's wrath and that's what comes these people deserve to be destroyed he does say that he'll keep his covenant made with Abraham through Moses and make a new nation through him but these people here he says they deserve to die and it's a harsh sentence but one that God is forced to make with each of us we too are stiff necked We turn back to sin. We turn back to idolatry. We've rejected the covenant God has made with us. We've separated ourselves from God. We've disowned God. And Exodus reminds us we are worthy of destruction. But thank God the story doesn't end there. Thank God Exodus doesn't end there. Look at what Moses does in verses 11 through 14. Moses implored the Lord his God. So Moses, the mediator, Intercedes on the path of these sinful, rebellious people. And he tells God, These are your people that you've saved in verse 11. He says, It's through them God's name will be glorified among the nations in verse 12. If you destroy them, uh, then the nations will say that you brought them into the desert to die, to kill them. So what is Moses doing? He is arguing with God. I, I think that's really the only description you can give it. Save them for the sake of your own name, for your own glory. Remember your covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, you're faithful to your covenant. Remember that. And God listens. So Moses goes down the mountain with the two tablets and sees for himself what the people are doing. And look at verses 19 and 20. It says, so it was, as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. And so Moses' anger became hot he cast the tablets out of his hand, and he broke them at the foot of the mountain, and then he took the calf which he, they had made, and burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water, and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you, that you have brought so great a sin upon them? You know, the covenant's broken. The people have broken the covenant, and Moses shatters the tablets at the foot of the mountain. It's a tragic scene Aaron says that you know these people they're set on evil Moses you know the people they brought their gold to me it threw itself into the fire and all of a sudden out came this calf. and I'm not sure Moses and Aaron saw the humor in Aaron's excuse and the moment but there is a little comedy in the idea that this sin just happened and I'm sure the same could be said about the excuses for our sin that they're they're laying you know Moses lays down this challenge to the people in verse 26. Who is on the Lord's side? And it's the sons of Levi who come to Moses. God's command was for the people who continued in the wickedness to be killed. The sons of Levi carry out that command. Notice verse 29 there. The reason why Levi was the tribe to be priests before God and were separated from the other tribes is because they declared themselves to be on the Lord's side. The next day, Moses gathers the people. He explains the problem in verses 30 through 35. He says, You've sinned, you've sinned greatly, but I'm going to go up to the Lord and try to make atonement for your sins. And that's exactly what Moses does. He confesses the sins of the people in verse 31. But listen to what else Moses says. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Exodus 32 32. Moses is willing to die for the sins of the people. Moses is willing to offer his own life so the people will be forgiven. Now, God's not going to blot Moses out of the book. Whoever sinned against the Lord will be blotted out of the book. Moses can't stand in their place. Moses must go and lead the people to the place God spoke about. Moses was a mediator, willing to die for his people's sins. But the point is, he wasn't able. Hebrews 7 says, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The four of our priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7, 22 through 25. You thank God the story doesn't end in Exodus. In our impatience, we substitute the true worship God desires for cheap imitations, just like the Israelites. We try to add to his word and tell him how he should be worshiped. We have committed great sins against the Lord, disowning us from God. We are worthy of wrath and destruction, but we have one who goes before God and is able to make intercession for us and make it permanently. Through Jesus' death, God is able not to give us the wrath we deserve, but can pardon and forgive. And as we wait for the mediator who is able to intercede and save us from our sins, may we trust God and trust his commands and worship him with the expectation that Jesus is coming soon. And that'll do it for this episode of rooted daily. I cannot wait to sit down and open up God's word with you next time. Thank you for watching this episode of Rooted Daily. We're praying that you're growing with us as we study the Bible and use God's word as our only foundation. If you appreciate this content, and you wanna make sure others see it, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app, hit the share button. Most importantly, if you're ready to take the next step, repent, be baptized and hand over your life to Jesus, let's talk today. Just send me a text to 317-207-2734.